You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Limhanger Turkey Hunt Podcast, brought to you by Grounded Brand and their new Impact 2.0 Turkey Vest. Get grounded at GroundedBrand.com. The Limhanger Turkey Hunt Podcast strives to bring opinions and discussions from all aspects of the turkey hunting community. From legendary turkey hunters who hunted in military fatigues to the modern day hunters embracing technology while maintaining traditions passed along for generations. All are welcome at this roundtable conversation about one of the wariest creatures in North America, the wild turkey. Y'all stick around, it's going to be a great show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Limhanger Podcast. We got a really good one lined up for you here this week. Uh, we got Chip Davis with us who has completed. Let's count them up. The Grand Royal World Super Mexican and Canadian Slams. And Jeez. he's one of one of only two people registered with the NWTF that has done that. And, and that's pretty incredible. Um, and we're going to get into Chip uh, pretty heavy here in just a minute. But first, we got to have an update from uh, Mr. Adam Cruz because Parker and I haven't been turkey hunting in a while. I haven't seen a turkey die in a little over a week. And uh, same, I'm I'm hurting. Parker's tagged out in Alabama, so he ain't been hunting. So Adam, you gotta tell us a turkey story, good, bad, sad, all of it. I told Parker uh, before we got going that this is the saddest of stories. So this how, past weekend, how can it how can it get sadder? That's what I want to know. Like it's like it's like it's like watching a movie, and <laughs> and you're getting to the climax. This is the climax. Oh no. This Billy, is like one of those Billy Mays, but wait, this there's is one more. of those Hemingway books where you just know like somebody's gonna like it's gonna be really bad at the end. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so I went this weekend. I heard one turkey gobble. That's it. So I think Parker, I think you jinxed me because up until that point, you're like, dude, every every time you go, you're like, you know, close to pulling that trigger, or you know, close pull the trigger, do pull the trigger, whatever. And then this weekend, I heard one turkey gobble on private land. I was hunting public, did not get to chase him. So I'm going to fast forward to the middle of this week where I started having some pains in my hip and I went to the doctor today. And so I have a, uh, a meeting with a surgeon Thursday, like I'm probably going to have to do surgery 
like pretty quick. I'm guessing my season is probably I'm already in light duty. She was like, do not do anything. Um, so yeah. God. It's not a big deal. It's like minor. There's I'm I'm good. But the fact remains like I can't do anything and my I mean it I don't know. <laughs> Golly. We'll Man, I mean that's better than you've got like a terminal illness or something like that. Like Yeah, yeah. Like it's it felt like, like you were like, going there and I'm like, gosh, I hope he doesn't do that right right now. No, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's totally minor. Um, it's all good. It's just something I can't. Yeah, I can't have strenuous activity, which I'm still probably going to try to go Saturday somewhere real, <laughs> somewhere real easy. Unstrenuous. Unstrenuous. Did they I'm say anything say, about unstrenuous activity? I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll have Luke uh, pull him out for me. Yeah, so. did they, uh, they say anything about armed hiking on semi-flat terrain? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty strict. But, wow. Yeah. Oh, man. I'll find out Thursday, so hopefully Thursday I'll have more info you better anyway thursday morning uh, afternoon <laughs> thursday Gosh, morning. man i hate mm-hmm. it for you that stinks it's hell we'll getting old yeah getting yeah. old sucks bro <laughs> i hate it uh freaking hate it but um you know one thing that i do really appreciate are some good flipping turkey hunting stories like and what better guest could we have? I mean, this guy has a turkey hunting story from every place that somebody could tell a turkey hunting story. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this guy has a, a mind full of turkey hunting memories. We got Chip Davis on the line with us. Chip, how's it going, buddy? Oh, great, guys. How are you guys? Mm. We are excellent. Just solid. Very good. Not speaking for Adam, uh, <laughs> we're doing excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Just yeah, surgeon crashing your season. I mean, yeah, bummer, dude. Adam's entire playlist is going to be like early two thousands emo music from now until <laughs> next turkey season. Yeah, it'll be all right. It's I've, I've had a great season, so uh, it's okay. Well, Chip, you know, I mean, Joey just read off like a a pretty impressive resume. Um, and I know that it, it ain't it ain't your style to toot your own horn, but man, c- congratulations from us on completing this thing, man. That's uh, that's really cool. I want to know like where where did it all where did it all come from? Like what gave you this idea to to go out and complete every slam possible? Well, thanks. And first of all, thank thank you a bunch for the congratulations. And 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 um, number two, thank you for having me on. I, I know this is going to be a blast. I talked to you a couple of times. Uh, last day or two and i'm absolutely looking forward to this and hanging out with your listeners as well this is going to be a lot of fun it started i was literally in college um i graduated from mississippi state university go dogs by the way and um when i was in college there was a group of us that we all enjoyed turkey hunting and we were buddies and kind of hung out and and uh just i guess it was kind of a goal of you know maybe to shoot the grand slam to start with and i never traveled out of state at that time um, and then maybe we kind of several of us, you know, it'd be really cool. Nobody had ever done it at that point in time. This was in, I finished in school in 91. So at that time, no one had ever shot even a U.S. Super Slam, um, much less all, you know, actually at the time they had, have not even defined things like the Mexico Slam or the Canadian Slam. And uh, most of Canada had zero seasons at that time. So we were predated a lot of this. And, and, uh, so we, you know, we just kind of, talking it around and and um a group of us and 
So it still wasn't even a goal at that time. That was the first time, I guess, it was an idea in my mind. And then in uh, 1992, the following year after I finished school and came back and uh, started a professional career and that sort of thing, uh, I actually went to Missouri. And that was my first out-of-state trip. Um, they always open on a Monday. Historically, I always have. I think they still do to this day, open on a Monday of the week. I think it's the third Monday of April, if I'm not terribly mistaken. And somebody might correct me on that. But um, at any rate, um, I did not shoot a turkey on that Monday, but I did shoot a turkey on that Tuesday. And ironically, a year ago, on the third Tuesday of April is when I pulled the trigger. Almost the identical time on my watch is when I pulled the trigger on my very last 49th state. And I happened to be in um, West Virginia at the time, almost to the minute. And so that's kind of kind of cool how it all worked out exactly 30 years later. 30 years. Man, so that's so from start to finish, it took you 30 years. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That, that's the first out of state trip to the last out of state trip. Now, obviously, I'd harvested turkeys in Mississippi pr- previous to that. But, but yeah, the first actual traveling, you know, traveling thing. In the meantime, I've, you know, early on, it's probably been close to a decade ago now. I went to Goulds uh, on a Goulds hunt um, in the Sierra Madre Mountains. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So I guess I kind of came to the question of, okay, you got you a super slam. What's now? And to and I guess I'd heard of the Mexico Slam. I knew I did not have a Mexican Rio. I had lots of Rios, but not a Mexican Rio. And um, and I also had been kind of saving the oscillated turkey. Um, at the time, I wasn't super enthused about going there. Um, if you go when they're singing, they don't quote unquote gobble. Uh, although some of the finer notes of the sound of his song uh, have some sharp pitches, like a, a you know regular you know, the other subspecies gobble. It's, it's a few notes in there, but it's more of a, um, I don't know, it's more of a, a, a just a different sound. Um, but they're they're definitely doing what we call gobbling. Um, you know, the, the natives there call it singing. And uh, and they react much like they're all, they're 100% of wild turkey. They're, they're, their body language, the different things that you look at when they get nervous, when they relax, what they're, Body language that you read so many times, and as we do, they're just exactly the same. They are a wild turkey. Um, you know, their reactions are very, very much the same. So uh, I'd saved that one until after the Super Slam. So I was able to pick that up. Um, actually made a trip earlier this year to Tamaulipas, uh, Mexico. Probably hands down had more fun than I have on. I've been on close to 100 different turkey trips. Um, and just because I love to do it, not because I'm good, it's just because I love to do it. And Probably because I need my head examined for spending that kind of time and money <laughs> chasing a turkey that's <laughs> got a brain the size of a quarter. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but I'm absolutely in love with it, and so uh, so yeah, that's um, and of course when you get there, there's only one more step, and that's a Canadian. So that's what we just finished up last Wednesday. It was uh, we could go tomorrow um, is the Canadian Slam, and so that that wrapped them up. So now it's kind of like I don't know, it's bittersweet. Um, I'm certainly glad that the quest is complete but it's also a little sad because I, 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 there's never an off season for me i mean there obviously are about 10 months that i'm not hunting but th- those 10 months are comprised of thinking and planning and you know googling turkeys in you name x you know canada turkeys in british columbia turkeys in alberta whatever and reading everything i can read and 
And um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, it is bittersweet. The bitter part is, what am I going to do now? I don't know. <laughs> you know so, uh, I know what you can do. And I actually had it written on here. Uh, you can go to New Zealand. I was uh, just that, about that, to say that. Now, that, that's the, <laughs> that is the last. All right. So I started, to, I almost segued into there. That is on my list this fall. Um, believe it or not, this is how this, this small world we live in. It's great big. And you travel for hours and hours and hours on a jet airplane doing 650 miles an hour. And it takes forever to get somewhere. But also the world's tiny. When I was in British Columbia on the very last hunt, there was a group in uh, that lodge and he had, now there are fall, right? Their, their seasons are opposite because they're Southern hemisphere. And he had a buddy of his that was there. And I had been looking for a place to go in, in New Zealand. So since then, this is literally less than a week ago. Since then, I've made contact with the guy in New Zealand. And we're not 100% booked yet, but within the next two or three days, we're going to be booked for probably an October trip, which will kind of be six months opposite on the calendar to them. And that's when the turkeys should be gobbling and they're, they're breeding season. So, yeah, that's that's there. That's literally in the works. So that'll be maybe the last big trip I ever take. So, <laughs> Man, that is awesome. I always uh, – I don't ever want to discredit somebody for getting the U.S. Super Slam because I know it's incredibly hard – and it takes a lot of dedication. But when somebody does these, uh, the Mexican slam, the Canadian slam, uh, and they go to these different places, I love all of that because it just seems like nowadays there's so many people going after the U.S. slam. You know, ever since, well, pre-COVID, the last, what, four or five years probably, people have really started getting after the U.S. super slam more and more. Uh, and like I said, I don't want to discredit those people because I know it's incredibly hard, but whenever you go up into Canada and you go down into Mexico, uh, and you hunt those turkeys and then you got plans to go to New Zealand, I mean, that really sticks out to me. Uh, and I'm also anxious to hear about that New Zealand, uh, trip because it's been on my radar too. Um, but, uh, I just haven't, haven't gotten there yet. That's at someday, that's someday that's, that's <laughs> not on the calendar. But uh, I'm gonna get there. So maybe when we uh, when we sign off here, I may have to pick your brain about it a little bit. Absolutely, sure thing. So, so Chip, I was thinking, like you said, you didn't know what's next. But as far as you know, like next season or or next goals that you might have, do you have any desire to do the U.S. Slam again, or is it more about the best experience possible from here on out? Yeah, so there's some certain things that I'm kind of haven't figured out yet, and certain things that I don't know. But for unequivocally 100, I will be not re I will not be repeating a second U.S. Super Slam for sure. <laughs> it was uh, not that I didn't like it; I absolutely loved it. But boy, it is so much dedication, so much time, and so much effort and travel. And I love the effort. I love the travel. I love all that. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic maybe for me to say, I'm not doing another one, but I just, I just know how much, how much it takes. And I just, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, you know, I'm in my mid fifties now. And I just, I don't know that I got another one in me, you know? So what I would rather do, and this is more my choosing, I would rather hunt with, you know, with friends and family that I'll enjoy spending time with and go back to my most favorite ones, you know, with no pressure. I will say this, and, and I've had some degree of success in the turkey woods, but this whole slam thing, 
it's fun. It's how we keep track. It's how we keep records. I do think, and 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 I hesitate to even saying this, especially on a public podcast like this, but I do think it takes a little bit away from the wild turkey. Um, I've been in places that's really, really difficult and hard to get there. And I had struggling hunts. Uh, So um, my Hawaii hunt was a great example of this. I did the Hawaii hunt on the year that was, it wasn't exactly to the month, but uh, my wife and I were married uh, at that, the year I did the, I think it was two years ago that I did the Hawaii trip. Uh, that happened to be the year we were married in in January, but we waited until March to go on that hunt, and we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary at the same time I did my Hawaii turkey hunt. Very, very expensive airline tickets, very expensive stay. We get there, I hunted on public land for a day, um, had some other outings that that were um, still outdoor-oriented, but not um, but not turkey-oriented, and did those, and we got down to, I literally had two more days, and... Um, well, I started feeling the pressure and it does things to you that you don't normally do at home. It, it, it makes you, it, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's nothing unethical. It's nothing there. You just get in a lot, a lot more haste, a, a bigger hurry. You try to force things too quick and, and it robs you <coughs> to a certain degree of the experience and the love that we all have in our hearts for the wild turkey. I do think to a certain degree, especially, I didn't feel this until I was closing in on that, but there's a few of these trips that are so difficult to get there. They're so expensive, so much travel that I do think it takes a little bit. And at the end of the day, more than, more than anything, I'm in love with the wild turkey. I'm in love with that gobble. I'm in love with hearing him drum. I'm in love with the first time I see that redhead pop through the furthest you can see. And when you first catch that glimpse of that redhead coming to you, that's what I'm in love with. And, and when you're almost forced to, I, I don't know. I mean, the the slams. I think some kind sometimes can possibly take some of that away. Man, Chip, you you transition so perfectly into what I wanted to ask you is like, when you go on these hunts, like, is there is is you're trying to do something that has a per that it's a personal goal? Like, I don't know if NWTF sends you a whole bunch of stuff. I don't know, like if you actually get something out of this, but most of it is like just all inside. Like it's like a pride and it's, it's a personal sense of accomplishment. Um, so there's really nothing huge at stake here, right? Like if you don't Mm -hmm. finish it, but is there like, was there any situations where you didn't shoot a Turkey the way that you wanted to? So maybe you were walking through the woods and, turkey ran out gobbler ran out in front of you and you shot it you know i know out west a lot of the style of hunting that i've done in the late season on those western merriams is kind of like a spot and stalk style thing you know because they're moving so fast is there like a particular style of hunt that you're like this is what i'm going for and i know your answer already because you told me yesterday <laughs> i think maybe it, well maybe not because i don't even remember exactly that that answer but I'm going to answer it this way because this may be better defines what I was trying to say earlier. And I'm going to go back to the to the last turkey of the U.S. Super Slam, which was last year in West Virginia. And I was so nervous. And I got there literally on Easter Sunday afternoon. I got to the property that I was going to hunt. Beautiful place in West Virginia. Um, I was staying in a little cabin up on top of the hill that was literally overlooking this pro- property. 
and they had a major, it was warm, it was bright sunshine. Uh, uh, their season did not open until the following day, until on that Monday. So I could not hunt, um, you know, because there was, the season was not open. But I've got glasses, binoculars, we call glasses. Um, and and I'm, I'm hearing turkeys gobble, and I'm, I'm way up on this tall mountain. I'm looking down at all these beautiful, beautiful property, and turkeys are gobbling everywhere. Well, that night, we got six inches of snow. And um, it started out freezing rain, then it was sleet, and then it was snow. And so the opening day, I start feeling this pressure. And then I guess that afternoon, it warmed up a little bit, and these turkeys are gobbling again. And I said, no. Then I just relaxed. Then, then it's, it's plenty of turkeys here. You know, this is, this is going to happen. And I just completely fell into a relaxed, relaxed type of mode. And it, it's just you don't have this pressure. You don't have this inside of you know there's nothing monetary there's I, nwtf doesn't send me anything i fact matter i have to pay them to register <laughs> my turkeys with them <laughs> so uh so no there, there there's nothing at stake there's not like i lose a paycheck if i don't shoot a turkey but there's um i think it's the internal pressures I, I i treat it more like a job and I, I maybe i take it too seriously and i and that's all i was saying about the slams is i think we as humans put certain things in life way more important than they really should be turkey hunting should be to be enjoyed at whatever level that is if you're if you're a first-time turkey hunter it's a great goal to hear your first turkey gobble i remember the first turkey i heard gobble and that's an awesome first goal you know if you're if your interest and your goals are to grow a good business you know, a monetarily successful business, you need to have a first sale sometime, you know, because you can't get to me, uh, to be a millionaire without having that first sale. But then you need to, to, to look at, depending on what it is, I'm not telling anybody what they should do or shouldn't do, but it's goal setting. It's what it is. And it's step by step. And I think that when you get toward the end of these, the pressure just becomes more than it should be because it's, I, I, I never fell out of love with a wild turkey. And, and, but I do think that, you know, that when you got to the tail ends, tail stages of this, it, it was something I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for. So if that makes any sense. It makes so much sense. <laughs> it, it definitely does. But you know, there, there are times Chip, when we start hitting our goals and maybe we even start achieving some of that success, but then we run into roadblocks. Right. And I know mm -hmm. if you've went and hunted all these different States and all these different places, you've talked about the pressure that's on you. Have you ever went through a serious slump? Like it's nothing nothing's going right. And then how do you deal with that? I have, I think all of us have for, for sure. Um, my approach, I've approached most all of my turkeys. Now this has been a work in progress for sure. But the first thing that I do when I get to a new state or a new property or a new foreign country or a new anything that, that I've been to is I'm immediately trying to determine where the turkeys are in their breeding cycle. And now I'm not talking about what a man said on a calendar date is season opens on X date. What I'm concerned is there, I believe I've defined about 17 or 18 different cycles, everything from pecking order that in Mississippi and Alabama more than likely uh, happens in February, all the way down to gobblers getting back together again, usually in mid to late June, and the period in between there has many different segments and many different cycles that are vastly different. And when you learn to identify those and you learn to react to the turkeys based on what their, 
life cycle progression is during the breeding cycle. I know there's a lot of cycles <laughs> that said, but but it's more an adaptation. And you may hunt today on an Osceola in Florida and tomorrow on an Eastern in North Dakota. And we're totally opposite ends of the cycle. And you better be prepared to adapt your game and give the turkeys what they want uh, if you're going to be successful. So those are more of the challenges. Some places, um, my least favorite places to hunt are mountainous areas that are extremely wooded, much like the very, very last one, British Columbia. And what if you want to add one more curveball to that, you put those those guys when they're hand up and they're not gobbling much because every turkey that's – I used to say this. I used to say every turkey that's ever been ha- ha- harvested, one or two things had to happen. You either had to see him or you had to hear him. I've kind of even refined that now. Every turkey that's harvested, you've got to see him, at least right toward the tail end. When, when, when you put your bead on him and you squeeze that trigger, you've got to see him. And so when you're in areas that are straight up and straight down – like last week in British Columbia, then you really rely more on the audible. And if it's not goblin because the turkeys are hand up, plus the area I was in had very, very few turkeys, very few turkeys. Um, And so there's not a lot of them there. And they're only goblin once or twice in the tree. And you've got 12 hours to be with him. You know, so it just makes it, where do you even start? So I'm glad that was the last one instead of the, the still the front one. Cause I had to, I had to pull on all the strings that I'd learned, but, but uh, I hope that, I hope that makes sense. It sounds like maybe I was rambling there, but I was trying to make some points about progressions and how the season progresses. No, that I'm really glad you brought that up um, because I, probably by the time this, this episode drops, it'll be really late season for, uh, the rest of the country, you know, north part, north part of the country, out west, you know, Tennessee is going to be open throughout the throughout Memorial Day. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you what what kind of tactics do you implement for that late for those late season uh, cycles that you were just talking about? Yeah, so it just it varies. It literally depends on which micro cycle they're, that they're in. You know, um, um, obviously. As the hens are going to true nesting, you know, they're done breeding by the time. And and turkeys tend to get a little easier um, just because their desire to procreate is still there. And, you know, and that's pretty textbook. I mean, you can find that information anywhere. Um, so, yeah, um, I like to be mobile. I like to, you know, uh, within reason, um, you know, you can that can be abused as well for sure. Um, I got a story about that, but I don't know that I can say that without naming names. So uh, it was recent. So I'm not, I'm not going to even gonna go there. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to be too mobile. I, I will say that, you know, when, when guides in certain places say, you know, how do you like to hunt? You you know, we got tent blinds. We can stick you in and come back and pick you up at dark or, or I said, I'm more of a move around. I'm more of a go to the Turkey kind of guy myself, you know, and, so, yeah, the go to the turkey means walking 20 miles an hour as hard as you can walk straight up and down the beautiful turkey country. And I finally had to say, no, dude, hey, look, what, stop. Let's change places. You follow me. And we, we, if I got to have a guide, that's okay. But you be behind me. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we spent a half a morning blowing out country. So, yeah, anyway, that's, a, that's, that's probably a rabbit trail right there. But, yeah, that happened. I was really curious uh, about hunting late season, especially this year with Tennessee season. Tennessee season getting shifted uh, so late. Um, 
and I'm not bragging on myself or anything, but I tagged out early and I, I didn't have the opportunity. Oh, we're to not, we're not to... worthy. We're not... <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I, I, killed, I, I killed a couple turkeys by, you know, by the third week of April. And so I'm not able to hunt that, that mid to late May that we haven't been able to hunt before. And I'm kind of upset about it because that was something that I hadn't tackled yet. And so I'm, I was just been really curious of how, you know, how guys really tackle that super green up that type of year where the turkeys are acting because when our season usually ended was about, you know, now, you know, mid-May uh, when, when we're recording this. And so the gobblers were starting to break up a little or starting to get back together maybe a little bit in some places. But I always remember that first week of May being just like prime hunting. And I would only imagine that it just gets better and better throughout the month of May. And so I'm just sad I missed it. Well, the, the negative you have with late season turkeys, and I'll actually try to do a better job of answering your question here. Um, the positive is what I did mention a minute ago. They're without hands, but more and more each day. The negative part, they just got through with, depending on when the man-made season on a calendar started, they just got through with a whole bunch of pressure. Um, so there's a trade-off there. And, and so there's a varying degree of tactics that, I mean, I could spend the rest of the podcast. I think we want to cover more subjects, but real quickly, when I get on pressured turkeys, and, and you may or may not have pressured turkeys there, I don't know, but there's just, it stands a chance that turkeys are not as fresh as they were on opening day of season, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And so you got pressure turkeys, um, you know, that have probably heard most everything, most of the calls in the woods. They've done that. They've lived for a reason up until now. What you got going for you, the positive, that's the con. The, 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 the positive is, is, you know, all of a sudden this is their last chance, you know? I mean, he's, he's been talking to hens and had girlfriends every day up until last week. And now all of a sudden there's a new one. So, the tactics typically are try to get close without bumping him. That's there's again positives and negatives, just like life. Every decision we make's got positive and negatives. I'm, you'll see me bounce back and forth to life lessons and turkey hunting as we go through this. But um, so I like to get close. I like to call lightly because if you can get close, there's no need to blow him out of the woods with you know with cuts and 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 all these other you know high high pressure type calls. He's already in the mind frame. You, you, you got to get the turkey's mind. He's already in the mind frame. All of a sudden, this may be the last chance I had. I hadn't seen a lady in two weeks now or a week or 10 days or whatever. And there she is. And a lot of times it's soft calling, but getting close. And those are my tactics that I would try. Part of that kind of derives from the pressure thing. It, you know, that's the soft call stuff. Uh, part of it kind of uh, is more focused on where I think he's at in, in that particular life cycle or the, of the breeding cycle. So I hope that answers your question. There's a couple more specific tactics that I would use in situations like that. Yeah, Chip. I mean, like you said, like I, I feel like a guy who who guy who's hunted as many places as you, we we could literally spend a week probably talking about the different differing tactics between different differing turkey types um i want to know was there one in your in all your travels was there one that was like absolutely without a shadow of a doubt um your absolute favorite hunt it doesn't have to be because the turkey hunt was so good in that state but just the hunt itself was so memorable um and if it were me it would probably be the one that was the hardest 
I would think would be the one that would be the most memorable. But is there one that really sticks out to you? It is. It hands down is a hundred percent. And it happened this year, believe it or not. Um, Tamaulipas is a state in Mexico, Tamaulipas, Mexico on a Rio Grande hunt. I had an absolute blast. One of my favorite. So obviously to shoot, and, and this is not braggadocious. I promise you in order to shoot, the super slam, you have to go to at least 49 states. Okay. I mean, you just got to do it. You got to be there to, to do that. And then you add the other international trips and all that. But I didn't, you know, I went to, I'm in Mississippi's where my home state is. So I probably went 20 years to Missouri. This is before I was really sure enough in the chase. Yeah. I would pick up a state or two here or there or whatever. Um, and I, so Florida, uh, I went to Florida, oh uh, golly, 16 times i think um I, I wound up some really really good close personal friends in florida uh, we would swap out turkeys for deers and, it, and they didn't have very many deer and we had a good population of deer and so we'd swap that out and we enjoyed them too we'd actually even go down there in the summer just to hang out so a bunch of trips to to you know to florida other other places i've been hunting alabama probably 12 times 10 12 times so there's a bunch of other trips they're not solely dedicated to the birds that were harvested that goes to the goal, if that makes sense. So yeah. all in all, I'm guesstimating right at 100 different turkey trips. Um, you know, a lot of those were repeats, you know, between Missouri and Florida that accounted for, you know, scores of them right there. Um, and then plus all the ones that did count, Tamaulipas, Mexico, from the time um, I was on the ground in Brownsville, Texas, and I got picked up until we went there everybody said do not go do not go drug cartel uh you're going to get killed you're not going to come back you're all this stuff and and i'm going to say i was a little apprehensive about that at first what i saw in mexico that we first landed at matamor well brownsville i spent the night there i got picked up matamoris is immediately across the border i saw i don't know how big it is a couple of million people going about daily lives you know, and just some of the neatest things, some of the best talent to be folks juggling bottles on the at every stoplight or whatever, you know, it, uh, it's just just neat stuff that you see, not turkey related at all. Some absolutely gorgeous country. We got down there. Um, the Mexican people absolutely are they treat you like a king when you're there, almost to the point of it's a little uncomfortable that, you know, that they're <laughs> they, they, you know, and so. It's private room, air conditioned, swimming pools, the whole nine yards. I didn't get in the pool, but but uh, beautiful country. And we get there, and there are I'm the only guy there. They're really and truly a, a quail hunting operation, uh, but they started adding on the turkey hunts. So they got plenty of turkeys. We go go hunting the first morning, actually the first afternoon, and there's me and the two owners, and then there's like eight other guys in the back of the truck, and we start dropping guys off. There's eight <laughs> other people. Well, actually nine, counting one of the owners and then myself on my hunt. There's ten people finding finding turkeys. You know, they're looking, they're listening, and you got all these scouts there, and it's like, well, which one do you want to go to? This is gobbled 25 times, and this is gobbled 80, 84 <laughs> times, and this has had four hens, and, and it was turkey heaven. And the accommodations were awesome. The food was awesome. Hands down, uh, anybody can contact me later. I don't know if I'm supposed to name, say the name of that outfit or not, but I absolutely would highly encourage anybody to do that. And um, as their saying was, 
it's kind of like South Texas only for men. <laughs> so it was. Uh, <laughs> Golly, I, I, I love just that. Made Adam season, Adam season even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> we, on the very the very first afternoon, I got to tell this story. The very first afternoon, and I'm not a big blind hunter, but occasionally when you don't what what the turkeys are, you're in the learning stage. I'll sit in one for a little while just to kind of get. And also, it was so windy. We had. Not the rest of the trip. That was the only day. But that afternoon, we had probably 40 knot gusts. It was unbelievable, the wind. You couldn't hurt a turkey anywhere. So you had a, a you know, um, Mucho Vista. You can see a long ways from from this blind. So I said, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to cut a losses here, and we're going to see what the, what the turkeys are doing visually. And and so hunting a blind, we're there about an hour or so. And, and, and so I will use the guy's first name, but not his last name. Jose is one of the owners. And, we're sitting there, and he jumps, and he says a choice word or two, and without any explanation, I knew exactly what it was. I look straight down. Our boots are probably, I don't know, eight or ten inches apart. I look down, and I see the six-foot-long temper rattler. I think he's a ten, No, he's a diamond back diamond rattler. Diamond back, yeah. Crawls right up in the blind with us, and he's literally four inches in front of both of our boots. And we jump, so I, I slide back. I try not to jump, so we come out. and Yeah, that kind of that kind of messed up that hunt, but. Long story short, I harvested a couple of birds there. They were, they, it was so much fun. Uh, called up some turkeys for the other guys in camp and had an absolute blast. That's my favorite. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry I took too long on that. Man, but that's that, an awesome. It, I mean, and you didn't even have to hotspot a state. Like, look at that. Yeah. Man. We just accomplished a lot right there, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super easy hunt. It, that particular one on that particular lodge is two and a half hours. It's actually not even quite that. Just call it 215 south of Brownsville, Texas. Uh, but you're in Tamaulipas, Mexico. Absolute blast. The the most fun I had on any out of 100. Hey, dude, tell, tell the name of the outfitter. Go ahead with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, it's uh, El Hacienda um, Outfitters in Tamaulipas, Mexico. They do have a website, and I think it's I think you can search L-E-L Hacienda. Um, um, and maybe even... Re, add Rio Grande on the end of that, and you can find them. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul is the guy that you want to get in contact with. He's uh, he's a U.S. citizen and uh, soon to, I think, maybe even be a dual citizenship guy, but uh, super good guy, Missouri boy. Um, and, yeah, you can talk to him, understand him. All of them you can. I, I, and feel, so, like, no, I feel like El Hacienda – Rio Grande is like the house on the on the Rio Grande River. Yeah. The house on the big river. <laughs> so you might have to search, yeah. like, hunting operation. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to think, um, uh, I may actually need to look that up here in a moment. Uh, maybe the next question that's linked, I can look that up. Cause, uh, I want to think, say maybe there's another word to that. It's, it, that's been about a month ago now. So it's not, I, I know it's El Hacienda, but, um, I'm looking uh, El, at, I'm, oh, I got, I got El Dorado, El Dorado Hacienda. Try that. Try that. El, El Dorado, Dorado Hacienda. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I found it. Yeah. Yeah, El Dorado Hacienda. That's it. Yeah. And if 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 Paul and Jose are listening to this, I apologize for getting the name of the lots wrong, but I had a blast with you guys. So, so. Yep, it's Hacienda Hacienda Del Rio. No, Hacienda El Dorado MX.com. That is it. That is absolutely it. 100%. That's Dude, it. Yeah. I'm going to be checking that out because that sounds like a good time. Yeah, I, that's a great time. That's a and great I know time. Joey's got a question, but I, I got to ask, what happened with the snake? 
Like nobody got bit. I'm guessing like you left me hanging. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 nobody got bit. The snake had a bad day. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, he was six feet long. I know that definitively. And, uh, he, he only had seven rattlers actually, but, uh, we 40 mile an hour winds and, uh, and not shooting my own ammo. Cause it's, you can take your own shotgun, but it's very expensive to do that. So shooting their shotguns, their ammo. So yeah, we, we, we waited until a really, really high wind gust and we knocked them out. So <laughs> Get the, uh, the international travel is just so intimidating to guys, especially when you, bring up mexico because of all the all the horror stories that you hear on the news about mexico but i'm i've been to mexico oodles of times for work uh and then i went on my gold trip last year uh and i've been down to peru and brazil guatemala costa rica and a hand, you know, handful of places all down in there and let me tell you once you get down in there it's almost just like the united states in that when you get away from the towns i mean everywhere down there is gorgeous it's just beautiful scenery. You get the mountains down in Mexico. And once you get out of town, you wouldn't be able to tell if you were in Mexico or Arizona. I mean, it's just the terrain is so similar. The people are so nice. Uh, Chip, you nailed it. They treat you like royalty when you're down there. Even even on my work trips, they did that. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's something that I recommend anybody to do. And it's so easy to do. Like you, mm-hmm. you go to Mexico, like you have to have a passport to get back into the United States. When I went to Mexico for my Gould's trip, I didn't show anything to get across the border. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> care. And, uh, but by golly, they checked my passport coming back in. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's the people shouldn't be so intimidated by international travel, especially on this side of the globe when you don't even have to cross an ocean. You're, um, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I would like to use that opportunity to say that. I'm using turkey hunting as my goals because that's what I just completed. And that was just my goals. But I really rather the show be in my message, be more about goals and, and life goals. And how many times I'm guilty of it. I'm sure all three of you guys are. We let the least little things intimidate us sometimes. And we rob ourselves from the passion. We rob ourselves from, from success and achieving our goals because we let the smallest of things get in the way. The what is, what if I don't succeed? Who cares, guys, listeners, if you don't succeed, you gained a lesson. You know, it's not a failure. It's a gain of a lesson. You know, if you get if you get somewhere, you don't shoot that turkey. If you're going on a elk trip and you don't hear him bugle and he does and you don't get to, to draw the bow or shoot the gun, you learn something, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways you can learn something. And hopefully our listeners, as we're talking about Mexico in particular right now. That's one thing. Yes, you absolutely always want to be careful. You want to be careful in business. You want to be careful as you're raising your families. You, you know, you don't want to send your your kids to, you know, to the middle of the drug part of town you know, in, in a U.S. city. But at the same time, with caution, there's no need to, to live your lives in fear. And, and because fear robs us of our ultimate goals. Yeah. A life lived in fear is a life half lived is one of my favorite quotes. Mm-hmm. Man. So stinking good, dude. Um, Chip, you you talk a lot about you talk a lot about life and uh, how it relates to turkey hunting. Uh, you've also mentioned that you you do have a family. Um, like, has this affected your family? And, and not to get too personal with you, because I I truly don't know the answer to this question. 
But what would you tell a, a fellow that's got a wife and, and some kids as it pertains to turkey hunting and uh, and traveling to turkey hunting and, and doing some of these things that you've done? Oh, boy. <laughs> now I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> you put me on the spot right there. <laughs> um, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you what I tell my children, but uh, <laughs> but uh, don't. <laughs> yeah, no. It's no, I love my wife, and and I've got a really really good one that understands it. Um, I'll quote her dad right after soon after we got mar- married, and and I was going on trips, and and he told her, and she was pretty upset about, but you know, I was going, I was I was just going to go. It was just it's something that I do, and. He told her, he said, well, you knew, you knew that he turkey hunted when you married him. So, uh, I would absolutely encourage people to get that worked out. If you're going to be going on any type of trip, anything like this, you need to have a really, really good network behind you, a good solid core team behind you. And that includes your family first and foremost. And, and yeah, you need, you know, if you hadn't, I'm not the best at this, but sit down and talk about it, get it, hash it out, you know, do this in June or July. Don't, don't wait till turkey season because it's going to be tough. But, uh, yeah, if you're dating, if you're thinking about getting married, uh, you need to have that conversation with your spouse. I mean, there's a lot of ladies that are doing this now that works the same thing in opposite, you know, from females to males. But traditionally, it's been more males to females. But uh, now, have that conversation. Get, that, get, get it out there. You know, yeah, communication is everything. Now, Chip, was your, was your father-in-law a turkey hunter? He was not. He was not. Ne- never, never turkey, well, never turkey hunted. Up. Props to the father-in-law on that one for a man who's not a turkey <laughs> hunter to give advice like that. That's solid. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you nailed uh, it. The, uh, sorry, Chip. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. The, you nailed it as far as that needs to be hashed out. You know, before you tie the knot, because I couldn't imagine springing something like my turkey addiction i couldn't imagine springing that on my wife right now you know four (laughs) years and two kids later uh after we're married that just would not i mean it just wouldn't go over well wouldn't go over Mm -hmm. well and we started dating in late 2015 and come spring of 2016 she was hit with a hard dose of reality of what my life is like in the spring and (laughs) thank the lord that she stuck it out that first spring <laughs> because <laughs> that I just knew I was like, I knew in the back of my head, it's like, if, if she can get through this first spring, we could probably make it through a bunch more. And thankfully she did. And that's not to say that it's easy by any means when you, I think you, I can't remember if we were recording or not when you were saying how we need to have our head examined. Uh, sometimes when we go to chase these birds around, like when you're going through Kroger and you see a pile of turkeys, laying in the freezer section <laughs> meanwhile you're flying across the world trying to shoot the things uh, for 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 an uh, exponential amount of money um you kind of second guess yourself and how your mental status is at least i do but um it uh yeah you have you have to establish all that early and i'm not saying it's not in, it's not impossible uh after you're married and you know somebody that gets into turkey hunting but it's got to be smoother, you know, <laughs> nipping that in the bud from the beginning instead of it, a few it, years later. It literally absolutely is. And and this is actually kind of a little uncharted waters for me because I've never really talked about this on a podcast before. I've done a lot of the podcasts around. and But this really is worthy of mentioning. It, it's um, especially what I see turkey hunting becoming now, 
there's a lot, a lot of younger guys. Um, you know, um, when I started, there was not many people that turkey hunted at all. Um, just cause we didn't have many turkeys. Turkeys were just really rebounding to a very healthy level when I started. Um, so, and I don't know that I've ever heard this talked about, but it's literally, I, I think maybe I'm going to refer to this in non-turkey hunting genre instead of turkey hunting genre. It's communication is what it is. And um, guys, when you're married, especially not quite as much in relationships, but the same thing applies. But when you're married, uh, that's real because you're a partner. You're a 50-50 partner with your spouse. Uh, regardless, and I keep saying, guys, I apologize that because I'm sure we have female listeners too. It happened e- either way. Um, and that's 50% of that. They got to be on track with it, it almost more than an acceptance type of thing. They almost, they don't have to have your same passion. My wife, she knows what my passion is and she accepts that. Um, are there times that I'm away from home for a month on end, especially as a late? And she says, I'm so ready for you to get home, uh, you know, then, then yeah, there, those times happen, but she still, she, she's, she's been my biggest cheerleader through this whole entire thing. You know, um, I've got to segue from that and tell you every single Turkey, I think, um, we weren't married when I very first started this. So not everyone, but everyone for the last 20 years, I'll call her and we've got just a thing we do. When I finally harvest a turkey, she knows where I'm at. She knows if I'm in South Carolina or North Dakota or Washington State or 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 Ontario or wherever. And when she gets a call and she says, Hello, and on the other end she hears <laughs> and it's then, then she she knows that man, I just killed a turkey. I'll gobble at her. <laughs> and and and, and it, every single time I usually, if I'm hunting with uh, you know, a landowner or whatever they're with me. She'll say verbatim every single time. She'll say, and it doesn't matter if it's the, if it's a tree hunt right off. He, I watch his feet hit the ground and I shoot him. Every single time she says, it's about time. Now get your blank home. So, <laughs> 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 uh, at, at any rate, but yeah, it's uh, that it. almost is, yeah, that's become a kind of a thing between she and I. So, but no, the communication is everything, but so is communication in any other avenue of life too. Man, I had a completely unrelated question, but I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna hold off on that one. I want to kind of stick on here on this, like you know, getting things in line. Chip, what do you do for a living, and what have you done for a living that allowed you to, to like make this work with a family and keeping a job and all that stuff? It's kind of interesting because my occupation for most of my life was very non-conducive to turkey hunting, especially traveling. For 30 years of my life, I was a farmer and a uh, farmer in the deep south of the United States of America. And and we were planning about right now. Um, and I couldn't go on a trip until there was at least two inches of rain in the gates. I, I, I used to not thought, have, didn't think exactly like that. I went to Missouri one time because we had an 80% chance of rain that night. It's supposed to be rainfall up, up to three inches. I said, we're going to be wet. I'm gone. I got all the way up there, and this is before my dad died uh, almost 20 years ago. This is at least 20-plus years ago. Called back home, uh, drove most of the night, got there, hunted one morning, 
uh, called since I got done. Just want to make sure it rained, you know, so I could stay up here two or three days. He said, no, he said, it hadn't rained a drop. <laughs> I had to turn around and drive all the way back down there and pay the out-of-state license fee hunting one morning. Uh, so, Gosh. yeah, so, the, so then I learned that lesson, and uh, and I wouldn't leave until we had rained the gauge. So, and in those days, we weren't going to four, five, six states. I was just going to try to pick up one extra state. You know, this is actually may even been before uh, – got super serious about shooting the 49 and certainly before I tried to, you know, shoot the other international birds as well. So, um, so yeah, that again, that's more of, you know, a fact finding and research and, and, and what you do. So today, uh, since then I've had opportunity to sell part of that farm. I still own some of that and I rent it out and, uh, became an auctioneer. And so I'm auctioneer and I deal in farm equipment, I actually primarily broker farm equipment, much more so than I do the actual auctioneering, but I'm a, I'm a licensed auctioneer in, in the state and, um, and primarily deal either in farm equipment or banquets type settings is more of the actual live call stuff that I do. So, uh, love to do that. If you're having a turkey banquet or a DU banquet or a, or a, or whatever banquet and need auctioneer, you call me, I'll be more than happy to help. I, I guess I didn't realize that you needed a license to be an auctioneer. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, most, most states it's required. Everything east of the Mississippi plus several west of the Mississippi huh. is required. Yep. Well, I am even more impressed that you got all these <laughs> slams now that I've figured out you were, or that you said you were a farmer because my dad was a farmer. I grew up on a farm and I could not imagine my father leaving. We had 2,100 acres of crops, uh, 200 mama cows, and a, 120 hogs, feral to finish. Those of y'all that are in the the swine industry know what I'm talking about, but I couldn't imagine my dad leaving like every other weekend nearly, or even a couple times a month, maybe in the spring to go do something like this. That is incredible. Dad grew up, dad was a bird hunter. He hunted a lot of quail. Uh, he's a big time quail hunter. And so, you know, it obviously makes sense, you know, hunting in November, you know, October, November, December, you know, wintertime, whatever, uh, that's a lot more manageable than springtime turkey hunting while you're trying to get crops in the ground. That's incredible to me. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely difficult, but just like any difficult challenge, if it's your passion, you're going to figure out a way to, to, to do it. You know, um, you know, I use business and family a lot as examples, but, um, you know, if it's, um, you know, if it's a certain school that you want your children to get into and it may not be convenient but that child, that school can offer your child so much more. You find a way. It may be sacrifices that you have to, to make, and, and, and it may be you know a lot of challenges and a lot of extra things, but you find a way to do it. I think I was just so in love with the wild turkey that we just made it happen. I, I, I was not able to go hunt five or ten states a year early on. I, mean, I had a crop to raise. I had a crop to get planted, and I had employees to take care of and maintenance to get done on the farm and all this. But I found a way I could sneak it in there. I typically saved early on. I saved a close state or two just in case it was a bad financial year or as a, I got sick or something. And I literally didn't shoot. Uh, I'm in Mississippi. I did not shoot a turkey in Louisiana until two years ago. I saved that one all the way up to the very, very last. So, it, you know, if we have a bad crop, if something happens, if, if it's not a good time, if I'm sick, if whatever happens – I can always run down there for two days and, and, you know, and hunt Louisiana cause it's close. You know, I did the same thing to a certain degree with, 
with Tennessee as well, but that was that, that's been done for a few years. So yeah, you just find ways to address your passions and you find ways to achieve your goals. And, you know, those are, those are just some of the, I know are related all back to turkeys, but those are more life lessons uh, as, you know, as at least in my view. You know, Chip, there's, there's very few Bo Jacksons in the world. And I'll explain that there's very few uh, pro sports athletes that are dual sports guys. Right. And mm-hmm. you also kind of find the same thing. I feel like in the turkey deer hunting world, uh, the guys that focus all of their attention on one, usually like that cream rises to the top. Do you feel, I mean, do you have your focus and hobbies all honed in on turkeys or are you just as impassioned with deer hunting and farming and all or golf or anything else? I mean, are you all in on some other things or is it turkeys? I'm not the Bo Jackson guy. No, I'm I'm turkeys and turkeys only. There and and this is the ironic part because I'm not. There's there's some guys that you may or may not recognize their names. Um, there's some guys out there like some Steve Browns, uh, like some. I hate to even start naming names. Uh, so Mitt Wardlaw, some some several others that that are probably much better turkey hunters than I am. Um, and, but for me. I don't view myself as being a super, super great turkey hunter. I just, I view myself as being super passionate about it. Um, and so do I deer hunt? Yes, I deer hunt. We enjoy eating deer and we put up between me and my family and four of us and we all hunt and we ate a lot of probably three nights a week. We eat deer meat and we package 12 to 15 deer a year. And inside the door right there, there's a wall full of, of pretty decent bucks and, but at one stage of my life, I, you know, I enjoyed shooting the big bucks, but now my target deer is a year and a half old doe. That's, that's, I've had a great day. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, that's what I choose to eat. And, and so do I deer hunt? Yes. Um, I, I also love bird dogs. I grew up, uh, much like he was saying earlier, um, in the quail days and the hay days when we had quail, we, they're almost non-existent now, but we buy them. I still have a couple of bird dogs and we still run them. Um, I will be going back to Tomopolis because they have a ton of wild quail down there. I saw on that on that uh, that turkey hunt we were speaking of earlier. I literally stepped on probably twenty to twenty five coveys every morning and every afternoon while I was turkey hunting. So I'm going back down there with bird dogs in December. Um, so that's the closest I come to, but I've never really traveled much out of state for anything else besides my turkeys. I'm to answer your question, I'm not the Bo Jackson guy. I'm pretty much more of the of the Brett Favre guy, I guess. <laughs> just just one sport only. So, yeah, I've always thought that there were just a a handful of guys out there that were really good turkey hunters and really good deer hunters. And Parker, I always put you in that category because you're a good deer hunter and you're you've become a really good turkey hunter too over the last handful of years that I've been. Well, that gummit, Joey. I appreciate you're welcome. that. You're make, welcome. You can make me tear up on the podcast. <laughs> but I think uh, I put cat like Catman. I always brag on Catman. Yeah. I put Catman in that category. Shane Simpson. Uh, there's a handful of guys out there, and there's only a handful of guys I think. And someone there, I, like myself, yeah, I'm just, I'm one of those turkey guys too, Chip. I I strictly go turkey hunting. I may go out west every other year, deer hunt or whatever. But I chose turkey hunting, and one of the things that uh, really drew me to turkey hunting and that I've noticed over the last handful of years, uh, you said, uh, I'm trying to think of what exactly you said, like a, 
a lot of these veteran turkey hunters are not going to tell you they're great or even good turkey hunters. They're going to tell you that they're experienced turkey hunters because they've messed up more than anybody. If you're, if you're experienced, if you've got 15 years under your belt, that just means you've got 15 years worth of failures too. And a right. handful of a handful of successes every other year, every year or whatever. Uh, but there's no good or great turkey hunters. There's just experienced turkey hunters. I, I totally agree. And back to the Bo Jackson question, I will say this. I think there's so much crossover with turkey hunting more so than anything else. You know, with bird hunting, quail, you need you need a, 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 at least one pretty good dog. You know, I can't smell them. My dogs can smell them. You know, with, uh, with duck hunting, you need a good duck resource. But with deer hunting, yeah, but of the commonality of all that – and I think that's why you see some of that. You know, if a guy's a good hunter, typically, maybe not the Bo Jackson, maybe not the expert in, in two or three different genres, but there's so much woodsmanship that crosses over there. Um, I just think that, you know, when the turkey gobbles and he's there and you can read those woods and we got so many more tools available to us now, you know, used to be the, the one thing I was really good at was navigating with a compass. Um, and, you know, and did I ever get lost? I absolutely thought I was going to die in South Dakota, uh, I'm sorry, Nebraska in a snowstorm. And when I didn't write my compass bearing down in ink and there was no such things as, as handheld phone maps at the time, we didn't even have cell phones then, you know, and, oh, and, uh, yeah. before the GPS days that we were strictly navigating on compasses. And there's a lot of kids sitting here, they're like, you must've been born in like in 1910. No, I was only born in 70. So, so it's, it's not been that, that I'm, long ago. I'm not, I'm not even that old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so the, the woodsmanship, I think plays so much into turkey hunting. And if you're a good woodsman, then you're also typically, you have that basic understanding that carries over into other things. The only other thing I did for a long time is I duck hunted a lot in in my earlier life, my dad absolutely loved duck hunting. I loved duck hunting with my dad and we hunted and we were, we had a good duck resource on the farm. We had is excellent in the Mississippi Delta. Um, and well, we went seven years and limited every single time we hunted for seven years straight. It went at one different stint in there. And, and we were pretty decent callers. He and I both, and we, he loved it. And he died in 2004 um, and it just wasn't the same. Uh, he, he actually died in March and that next year it was not the same at all. I said, you know what? I don't even want to duck hunt. So I started guiding because folks would pay you pretty good money to guide at that time. And, and I, we, we still carried the streak on. We still killed a lot of ducks, but I, I bet I hadn't killed 25 ducks since he died. And we used to, I mean, we were used to, we were really on them. I mean, we were extremely successful. And, and so I guided for several years and it still wasn't the same. And guiding is really adult babysitting. I'm sorry, but it is. And uh, I got tired of the adult babysitting. And so to this day, I lease my whole farm out. That, that same resource that I was guiding on, that dad and I hunted on. And I lease it out to third parties. And, and yeah, just um, so, yeah, I, I just kind of backed out of that whole thing because I just wasn't comfortable with it. But. You know, I know this doesn't really relate to turkey hunting, but I, I've got to throw the life lesson. Sometimes things change. Sometimes your goals, you're passionate about, sometimes they change. You know, at one time in my life, I was really, really skilled and and really good at duck hunting, and and we harvested way more than our share. But things changed, and and my part of my goal, part part of my goodie out of that, I guess you could say, 
was I had something I could do with my dad. My dad never turkey hunted either. We talked about my father-in-law, but my dad never turkey hunted either. I, I kind of grabbed that out of the air, I guess, and, and uh, early as a teenager and started doing it. And, and you know, so, um, so yeah, but he died and then shifted the goals and said, well, maybe I can monetize it. And that was even worse. And that all took almost a decade to play out. But finally I got to the point that said, you know, I'm done with this one and, and it's time to move on with other personal goals, whether it's business or family or, or sports or any other thing. Sometimes your goals change and it's okay. And I'm speaking to the listeners now, it's okay to change your goals sometimes, you know, I mean, I, I love the completion. I love when you set the ultimate goal to really hard one and you get it completed. That's great. But I think sometimes guys need permission to say, it's okay to change my goal. You know, and, and you don't hear that a lot. And and I think that's a real important thing that, that folks can understand and grow from in their personal lives. Man, Chip, you talking about that uh, with with goals changing. You said something early on in this podcast. You said uh, at some point in there, some point in this, you know, chasing this, this final goal, um, it, it maybe affected your how you felt about the wild turkey is almost too much pressure. It was almost too much. Um, just, I mean, just the stuff that we've, we've talked about all a lot, the frustration, you know, we opened this whole podcast with Adam telling us a, a pretty sad story of, of these turkey hunts. And, and, you know, there's sometimes that we put so much pressure on us that it almost becomes not even fun anymore. Um, and I've I've been right there. I know exactly. And a lot of seasons are winding down right now. And there's a lot of hunters out there that are like, I don't even freaking know if I want to go back in the woods next year because they're just <laughs> yeah. getting their butt handed to them. What would you tell a guy in that in that position? Uh, your guy who's, so, who's traveled around a lot and done this, I'd I'd be interested to hear your advice. So if I can answer this question with a turkey story, my most recent turkey hunt in British Columbia a week ago tomorrow, um, I had literally called home and um my oldest son he was actually uh i'm so proud of this because i kind of had a really really big hand in teaching him to turkey hunt and and he's kind of almost a protege so he started going to different states um and he's not you know he's still he's just getting started um you know he's professional now he's out of school and um uh he's a nurse and works on a helicopter on a on a um uh you know um uh, air or uh, air ambulance of uh, medical helicopter and uh, but he took time off, saved up time, and he went to North Carolina and also Virginia and harvested a bird. Both so I was talking to him. I also talked to my wife. And I told him both the same thing. I said, "I'm in British Columbia. There's not many birds up here at all. It's more than likely not going to happen. I'm halfway through it. I'd heard one turkey gobble at that point in time, and I'd seen one hen, and that was it. And my read on the turkeys with what little bit of intel I had." A lot of this is talking to other people that, you know, that had been there. Um, there had been 16 people go through this outfit before I got there, and they had harvested one jake. That's that's it. Um, and uh, and I don't shoot jakes. So that was uh, – I, I just – I didn't see it happening. And, but instead of giving up, because I'm already almost to completion, there comes a point in time – now I'm getting to – I'm using this as an example, but – the turkey hunt, but there comes a point in time that you get close enough that it's just gonna, you're gonna get it done come hell or high water. It doesn't matter. It may be next year, 
But I called both my son, who's actually on an out-of-state turkey hunt, having great success. He's all over turkeys. And I also called my wife shortly after that same night. And I told both of them, I said, I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So I'll be back next year. You know, I may not come back to, to the same place, but I, I may find a different, you know, a different group to go with that maybe have a little higher density of turkeys, but I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. So I guess this is the oxymoron. This is, I just got through telling the listeners a second ago, it's okay to change your passion and it is okay to change your passion. But also when you get really, really close and you put all that work in, then it takes dedication to stick with it. Life is not rosy. Every single step of life is not going to be happy. You know, you may have a child and that child's born with special needs. That literally happened to me and my wife. It's okay. We still love him. We still raise him. We still do everything. The doctors told us that he'd never walk. They told us he'd be in a wheelchair. He actually graduated last year from high school running track. You know, so <laughs> you, 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 you literally, you, you literally, there's certain things you cannot give up on, but there's also certain things that you just got to use some common sense advice and you got to look at your goals and you got to look at what's realistic. And then finally, when you get really, really close, there is no quit. Did that answer your question? You Adam? sure did. Okay, great. <laughs> well, Chip, I know if you're a farmer, me being an old farmer, I know it's getting late. <laughs> and we like to go to bed a little early here. I do. <laughs> um, so we'll wrap things up. You got any uh, parting words for us? Like anything to kind of put the button on this thing that you want us to take on? I want to encourage people to chase their dreams. You know, that's my message. That's what I'm here for. Um, it's a really, really, really cool feeling when you do. You know, when, when, when it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be turkey hunting. You know, it can be anything. It could be life. It could be family. It could be business. It could be, you know, any number of species that we hunt. It could be fishing. It could be whatever. Find a dream and chase it, guys. I mean, get off the couch. Turn Oprah off. She's not going to help. Um, you know, get <laughs> off the couch and take the first step. Um, if you never take the first step, you can never even develop a plan. You can never develop a goal. And 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 that's my encouragement to the listeners is take the first step. If you're already on your journey, take the next step. You know, there's certain things, briefly, communication skills through your core base, developing your core base is huge. Communication skills in the field, communication skills at with your, with your core base and communica communication skills with your adversary, i.e. turkeys. You know, I mean, I'm not saying be an expert caller. I'm saying be an expert in turkeys. What does it mean when he raises his wings up and sets them right back down? That definitely means something. We can go on that in another podcast later on. <laughs> but 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 that goes under communication. You know, you're communicating with the turkeys at that point in time. Um, and there's there's so much that that to execute your plan, just like I'm just like I'm saying, and then dedication. I maybe would be the. And there's probably another 15 I could make points of, but dedication would follow that and follow through and make sure that, you know, make sure you do everything in your power to, to stay on focus and stay on track. But most of all, um, keep chasing your dream, continue chasing your dream. Not all of them are going to be easy. There's a lot of them are going to be hard, but the hard ones, and there's not all of them going to be successes. There will be a lot of failures along the way with whatever dream it is. 
a, a failure becomes a success when you learn something from the failure. And now if you got 15 failures, that's actually 15 different learning points that actually turns into 15 different successes. That's, that, that's my advice to folks. Keep plugging away, guys. I mean, um, yeah, just stay after it, you know, chase it. It'll, you'll get there. Man, that's excellent advice. And, uh, your, your advice, uh, kind of lines up with a lot of guys that have finished that U.S. slam after they finish it. They I always hear them say, you know, slow down and enjoy it. And I can tell just from your stories and talking with you, uh, here tonight that you, you set out on this journey, not to just put you know, tally marks, you know, up on the wall and pins and states and everything else. You went on this journey because you enjoyed it. And it, I, you almost make it sound like you just happened to get all these slams. I think you, you traveled, you know, this half of the world chasing wild turkeys because you truly enjoyed it and you loved it. And you just happened to get a turkey in all these places and complete these slams. So I really respect you for that. And uh, I am anxious to hear about that New Zealand trip. Uh, you you we bet. Will, uh, we will for sure be keeping up with you. Uh, or I will be. I may be the only one uh, out, of the, out of our small group of folks uh, still thinking about turkeys in October. But uh, I will assure you, I will be keeping up with you. Absolutely. Well, I do want to thank you guys, all three of you guys. It's been a, it's been a blast. I've, I've had a, a lot of fun hanging out. I hope I hadn't bored the listeners and bumbled and rambled too terribly much here. But I love talking turkeys and and uh, and and I love talking to turkey men and 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 women and and i just i appreciate the opportunity thank you so much for having me on and if i can ever help in any way uh please feel free to let me know and it's, it's been absolutely my pleasure hanging out with you guys and your listeners and same here Jim. appreciate you buddy yeah. yeah we really appreciate it uh everybody hang around with us so we got one more we got another episode coming next week i'm sure as the turkey season starts to wind down but y'all catch us next week here on the limb hanger podcast Hey, thanks for listening to the Limhanger Turkey Hunting Podcast. Hope you tune in next week for another great conversation about our favorite bird in the woods as the wild turkey. We'll talk to you guys next week.